Welcome to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. We're a church in Gahanna, Ohio, that exists to help people find and follow God. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and helps you discover how much God really loves you. Good morning, my name is Joel, and I get to be the pastor here. And I was going to start with kind of a stupid story, and, but then I got a little nervous, and I was like, ah, I don't know if it's going to go very well. So I called my friend this morning. I said, should I share it? And he said, send it. <laughs> you guys ever heard about the wide-mouth bullfrog? You guys ever heard this story? There's a wide-mouth bullfrog, and uh, he and his wife had some babies, And so his wife said, the kids need some food. And so the wide-mouthed bullfrog looked at his wife and said, Hello, Waldo. I'll go out and look for some food for the babies. And so he walked up to a giraffe, and he looked up. He said, Hey, Mr. Giraffe, what do you feed your babies? And the giraffe looked down at him and said, well, I feed my babies leaves. He said, oh, you do, do you? I don't think that's going to work for my babies. And so he went on and he met a monkey. And he looked at the monkey and he said, Mr. Monkey, what do you feed your babies? And the monkey said, well, I feed my babies bananas. Oh, you do, do you? Thank you, Jenny. I don't think that's going to work for my babies. And so he kept on going, and he found the African python. And he said, Mr. Python, what do you feed your babies? And the python looked at him and said, I feed my babies wide-mouthed bullfrogs. And the wide-mouthed bullfrog said, Oh, you do, do you? You don't see many of those around here. (laughs) My dad. (laughs) We sent it. My dad, uh, he sat at my dinner table on Thursday night this week and told my kids that story. And I don't even know if they got it, but they like the wide mouth part. And... uh, And I said to my dad, I said, where did you hear that story? He said, my dad told me that story. And I thought, man, I wonder where his dad, my grandpa, I wonder where he heard that story. And my guess is that maybe his dad told him that story. And if I were to ask you, is there something that your dad or your mom or a grandparent or maybe a great-grandparent Is there a story or a phrase or maybe even a recipe that has been passed on from generation to generation to generation to you? It's likely that you don't even know some of the things that have been passed on to you. Well, in the same way that this wide-mouthed bullfrog story has been passed on in my family, uh, there's a lot of history that has just been passed on through conversation. Maybe the the Bible word for it or the historical word for it would be that it's been passed on via oral tradition. And and certainly some of history was written, but a lot of it was just passed on through conversation. 
It's very interesting. In fact, I even asked my mom and my dad this week, I said, hey, what did grandma and grandpa do? And do you know what your grandma and grandpa did? And I found out a few things. One of my great-grandfathers was a director for a YMCA. I had no idea. One of my great-grandmothers was a school teacher at one of those single-room schoolhouses in Pennsylvania. I had no idea. One of my great-grandfathers was a drunk. He worked in a steel mill and would get his paycheck, and he would go and blow it all at the bar and miraculously met Jesus and did a 180 and spent the second half of his life evangelizing and telling people about Jesus. It's kind of an amazing story. One of my great-grandmothers walked out on my grandmother when she was seven and had three younger siblings, and my seven-year-old grandmother raised her siblings. It's fascinating to look up the family tree and go, where did I come from? What tree did I fall from? And I've tried to put myself in Joseph and Jesus's workshop. Joseph, the adoptive father of Jesus, was a carpenter. And back in that day, there weren't power tools or table saws or the radio. And so they would pass the time for hours having conversations. And I've, I've tried to imagine a scenario where Joseph has said to Jesus, have I ever told you about grandpa? And Jesus, being a very good son, although Joseph's probably said it many times, says, no, dad, why don't you tell me about it? And, and he would have talked about his father and have I told you about my grandfather? And he would have kept going up and he would have talked about Eliezer and Akim and he would have gotten all the way up to the point where he said, he would have said, Jesus, do you know that the greatest king in the history of Israel is in our family line? King David is in our line. And Jesus, knowing everything, would have said, no way, dad, really? And Joseph would have kept going and he would have said, do you know who the great, great grandmother of King David was? Her name was Rahab. What, 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 I, what have I told you about Rahab, Jesus? Oh, nothing, dad. Why don't you tell me again? Oh, Rahab, Jesus. She's one of the heroes. She's one of the heroes of our history. The land that we're living in right now without Rahab. I don't know if we're here. I mean, she helped us settle. Do you know where she lived, Jesus? No, Dad, why don't you tell me? She lived in Jericho. Jericho, I've heard of Jericho. Jesus, do you know what Rahab did? No, Dad, why don't you tell me? Rahab was a prostitute. She was a woman of the night, son. Did you know that she's the great-great-grandmother of David? the greatest king in the history of it. She's in your line, Jesus. I asked a couple people this week, what do you know about Rahab? And the most common answer was, not much. There, there, there's not much that I know. I, I guess I feel like she might have hid some spies or something like that. And in Joshua chapter 2, which is what we're going to look at today, we're going to look at one of the most thought-provoking and astonishing heroes of the Bible. I'm going to take you to Joshua 2 and, and read that. And so if you have your Bibles, you could turn in them or you could turn them on and go there. And for those of you that don't have a Bible, we'll throw it up on the screen for you. But as we're getting there, it's important to note that Joshua chapter 2 
could be deleted from your Bible and you wouldn't really know it. It's slotted in to the story. But chapter 1 ends with all of the Israelites camped on the east side of the Jordan. Moses had died, Joshua's in charge, and they're camped there. Chapter 3 starts with them crossing the Jordan. It's, it's the natural next step of the story. But Joshua chapter 2, this, this random story about Rahab is just slotted in here. You could just cop or select all, delete, and you wouldn't hardly even notice. But it's in there because it has special significance. It's not crucial to the historical narrative of the story, but it is important for us to realize that the whole Bible, listen to me, the whole Bible is a story about God saying over and over and over and over, no one is so far lost or so far gone that my love and grace will not reach out and extend love and reconciliation to that person. And in Joshua chapter 2, we, we see this amazing story about a person named Rahab that even though you go, well, I'm not a prostitute, how can I relate to this? Oh, I hope that you can relate to this today. Here's Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. Remember, the Israelites are camped at Acacia Grove on the east side of the Jordan River, and they're looking to cross soon. This is what it says. Then Joshua sent two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia Grove, and he instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So there's the first time we start reading about Jericho. Jericho is five miles from the Jordan. So you probably can't see it, but there's certainly, I'm sure the, the farms and the industry of Jericho extends surely to the Jordan River. I'm sure there's lots of people that go from Jericho to the Jordan River, I'm sure every day. And so the people in Jericho have been able to look across the Jordan River and see millions of people camped on the other side, and they've heard about the Israelites. They've heard that the Israelites walked across the Red Sea on dry land. They've heard that despite the fact that the Israelites had been wandering in the desert for 40 years, where's the food going to come from? Where's the water going to come from? They had heard that God had provided it in miraculous ways. And they have even heard that the Israelites had already conquered another cruel and corrupt group of people, the Amorites, and so they're on high alert. Jericho is, a, is the most important city in Canaan. It's the biggest city in Canaan. It has high walls. It's a fortified fortress of a city. But the people inside, you're going to find out soon, are, are melting in fear because of what they've heard. And so as a, as a defense, they are on high alert. They, they are well aware of the threat that these Israelites pose. They're on high alert. Nobody's coming into the city. They're, they're, they're on high alert. They're looking for spies who would come into the city to try to find the weakest point of entry. And so none of this happens without Jericho and the people of Jericho knowing that this could be coming. And I, with that in mind, I've tried to imagine the pre-mission meeting between Joshua and these two spies and perhaps a couple other military strategists. They start asking questions like, how are we going to get in? How long are we going to stay? What are we looking for? And perhaps most importantly, where are we going to stay? 
Who are we going to stay? How do we remain undetected? And they're shuffling ideas around. Maybe we could stay in a hotel. Well, no, they for sure have a bug in every hotel. They're, they're looking for us. That's going to be too obvious. Okay, well, we could just be on the streets. No, no word's going to get out if we're on the streets. Somebody else on the streets is going to alert somebody that we're there. And I can imagine the person kind of sheepishly raising their hand and saying, we could stay with a prostitute. And I'm just, I, Joshua going, ah, it's kind of like how I feel when someone suggests that we should have wine at a church event. I'm like, I don't know if that's allowed. I grew up knowing that that was, stay with a prostitute? But they can't come up with a better plan because the, the question was, where would it be normal for a stranger to come and go in the night in secret? That's the, it's the only option. And so they go with it. And this is what verse 1 says at the end. So the two men, the spies, set out and come to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. So they're in. Apparently Rahab was looking for a couple bucks. She was out on the street looking to sell herself. And she runs into these two spies. And they said, we'll take you. And they go to her house. Side note, there's nothing here in here at all that would indicate that there was anything immoral that took place between the spies and Rahab. I'm sure that surprised Rahab when they got to the house. And for a, for a minute, I'm sure the spies had some kind of sense of relief. Like they got in the house and they're, they're looking at each other. They go, do you think anybody noticed us? Do you think anybody's going to say anything? And there, there may have been this sense of like, oh, we made it through the city and now we can lay down. But this was too good to be true. Somebody did detect them. Look what happened. Someone told the king of Jericho, some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, bring out the men who have come into your house for they have come here to spy out the whole land. Somebody saw him. Somebody wanted a couple bucks, and so they gave a tip to the Jericho police and said the spies are with Rahab. And the spies' lives in this moment hang in the balance. If Rahab opens the door and says, here they are, and spares her own life, they will be killed. But courageously, she takes another approach. Look what she says. Rahab had hidden the two men, but she replied, yes, the men were here earlier. But I didn't know where they were from. And they left the town at dusk as the gates were about to close, and I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. But actually, she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them beneath bundles of flax she had laid out. So the king's men went looking for the spies along the road leading to the shallow crossings of the Jordan River. And as soon as the king's men left, the gate of Jericho was shut. So Rahab apparently lives in one of the walls of Jericho. And, and she lives high up on the walls because eventually you're going to find out that these guys end up sneaking out of her window and they have to climb down a rope. It also, we know that she lived up high on the wall because she has a roof. She lived in one of the 
middle apartments. There's no roof for Rahab to hide the spies. And so she lives on the top, and on top of a Middle Eastern roof, that's where they would dry everything. Their food, their clothes. It was common to put crops up on the roof. And, and if you, uh, what did it say? It said a, a, um, a bundle of flax. I googled it. It just looks like a big old wad of straw, hay, real thick. Something you might see in a picture of a farm. And it's all laying down on top of the roof, and the spies are hiding under it probably for hours until it got dark, undetected. And this is important for us to notice. Right now, if you're hearing this story for the first time, or, or maybe if you're hearing it again, and you're, but if you're, if you're wondering what happens next, this is the point of the story that everybody's waiting and going, how are they going to get out? What's going to happen next? This is the, the intensity is ratcheted up to the very top. If you were reading this in a book and it was a, it was a novel, this is the one where you're like, man, I, I was going to stop reading, but I've got to find out what happens next. And so you would turn the page. If you're watching this in the movie theater, you're not going to the bathroom right now. Because this is the part of the movie that you go, what is going to happen with these guys? How are they going to get out of here? And, and the writer of this chapter of Joshua knows that. And so he chooses this moment before he tells you how they're going to get out. He uses this moment to tell you the most important part of this story. Rahab goes up on the roof. This is what she says. I know that the Lord has given you this land. We're all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. For we've heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt 40 years ago. We've heard that story. We know what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people are completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. This is it. This is the most important sentence. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Rahab, the prostitute, believes wholeheartedly in God. Specifically in Jehovah Elohim what it says in the original Hebrew text. The Lord your God, Jehovah Elohim, is God. And Rahab believes that. She doesn't believe in a God. She doesn't believe in a higher power. She's not agnostic, acknowledging that there could be a God, but we can't know him. She's saying, I believe in your God, Jehovah Elohim. He is God. And we can see here that faith in God is not a warm, cozy feeling about God. Her faith in God inspires her to act like she really believes what she says is true. She risks her life and she trusts in God and her actions prove it. When Eichen read that passage earlier from the book of James, we can see that 
Her faith was proved real by what she did. And if you're in a community group, this week you're going to look at some of the New Testament passages that point back and refer to Rahab, which had happened thousands of years before. And you're going to, you're going to dig a little bit deeper, but what I, what I want to highlight real quick is that in Hebrews chapter 11, written thousands of years later, in Hebrews chapter 11, it's often referred to as the chapter of the Bible that's called the Hall of Faith. It highlights all the heroes, Noah and Moses and Abraham and all these people. It's saying, by faith, this is how these people did these things. It was by faith in God. And Rahab is on that list. Rahab is one of the heroes of the faith. It says that it was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God, for she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. So this is the end of their conversation on the roof. This is how it goes. Rahab says, now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I've helped you. Give me some kind of guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all of their families. We offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety, they replied. If you don't betray us, we will keep our promise to be kind to you when the Lord gives us this land. Then, since Rahab's house was built into the town wall, she let them down by a rope through the window Escape to the hill country, she told them. Hide there for three days from the men searching for you. Then, when they have returned, you can go on your, their way. But before they left, this is important. We're going to come back to this in a minute. Before they left, the men told her, We will be bound by the oath we have taken if you follow these instructions. When we come into the land, you must leave this scarlet rope hanging from the window through which you let us down. And all your family members, your father, mother, brothers, your relatives, they must be here inside the house. If they go into the street, they're going to be killed. It will not be our fault. But if anyone lays a hand on the people inside this house, we will accept responsibility for their death. But if you betray us, we're not bound by this. Meaning that the spies, no matter, Rahab has been very nice so far. But she's a human. And so the spies say, hey, we understand. You, the minute we walk out of here, you could change your mind, abandon your faith in us or in God, and, and save your own life and take us out. If you do abandon us, if you betray us, we're not bound by this oath in any way. And she replied, I accept your terms. And she sent them on their way, leaving the scarlet rope hanging from the window. The spies go into the hill country and stay there for three days. The men who were chasing them searched everywhere along the road, but they couldn't find the spies. And the two spies come down from the hill country, crossed the Jordan River, and reported to Joshua all that had happened to them. The Lord has given us this land, for all the people in the land are terrified of us. Just a few concluding thoughts. God could have made the spies invisible. He could have struck all of the people in Jericho with blindness. He could have used angels. But instead, he uses two ordinary but brave men and a prostitute named Rahab. Why? 
Why? Spoiler alert, the couple chapters from now, you're going to find that Jericho is defeated in chapters 4 and 5 of the book of Joshua. And you will find out that these spies in Joshua honor their oath to spare Rahab. In fact, Joshua sends in a team of Israelite Navy SEALs to go and extract her and her family before the walls come down. In, in Joshua 6, it says, Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute and her relatives who were with her in the house because she had hidden the spies Joshua sent to Jericho. And look at this. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. This would have been written decades later. So, so Rahab, man, she's faithful for a long life. In fact, she gets married. She has kids. And guess who one of her great-great-grandsons is? King David. She's faithful. Her faith in God is true to the end. Let me, let me share this. This was probably the most uh, interesting part of studying this for me. I didn't know this. Many Bible commentators and translators for the last 2,000 years have read this story and they have been tempted and they have tried... With Rahab, man, the fact that she really was a prostitute, in my mind, magnifies and illuminates the love and the grace of God. It really does. But with us, man, aren't we tempted at times to use vague language to describe what's really going on in our lives? Somebody asks us who we are, they really care, and we go, I'm struggling. You know what I mean? And, And we use this vague language to kind of mask where we're really at. And we do that, the truth, just being honest, the truth is that we do that because we care more about what people think about us than what they think about God. We would rather preserve our reputation than let the grace of God be fully on display in all of its glory. Think about this. If I told you, man, I've incurred a little bit of debt, I've kind of dug myself into a little hole, but I have a friend who came and said that they would pay it all off. You would say, that's a nice friend. But if I told you a little bit more honestly, I have incurred $500,000 in debt. I have just been swiping the credit card. I blew it gambling. I don't know how I'm ever going to crawl out of this. And I told you that I had a friend that came in and paid it all off. What would you think of that friend? you would think that it was just radically generous, maybe even irresponsible of them. 
to help me out that much. You see, in that story, it, it highlights the fact that the more honest we are, the more truthful we are, the more illuminated and magnified the grace of God becomes. We actually undermine and curb how much God loves us when we're not really honest with one another about where we're really at and we say that we're innkeepers. You know what I'm saying? It's worth considering when you have personal relationships with people in church, people that care about you. It's worth considering how honest we're being. Here's the last thing I'll say. If you were Rahab, if you were Rahab, think about this. After the spies left, you hit them, you, you lied and kind of thwarted the, the detectives of Jericho, said they're not here, but you hit them up on the roof. But then they left, and you know Jericho's coming down. What would you have done if you were Rahab? Would you have hung the rope outside of the window or would you have found a way to go on an extended vacation somewhere else? Would you have thought, I, probably my best bet is just to leave here. That way, there's no consequences for me probably either way. What would you do? Rahab hangs the red rope out of her window. She puts her faith fully in God in these spies who she knows are serving Jehovah Elohim. Her faith is on display. Once again, I think it probably took more faith to stay there than hide them in the first place. Rahab trusted the spies and trusted God with her life. Here's the question, or here's what I want you to see in this. That the scarlet rope which led to her being saved is a foreshadowing of another scarlet rope that can lead to us being saved. When Jesus Christ was beaten before he was crucified, the Jewish law said that you could only beat somebody, you could only whip somebody 39 times. Well, guess who whipped Jesus? Not the Jews. The Romans did. They didn't care at all about the 39 whip limit. All four counts in the New Testament talk about how Jesus was beaten was most likely unrecognizably bloody. And then when they went to hang Jesus on the cross, they put nails in his hands, right? They put nails in his hands, but had they just hung him by the nails in his hands, it probably would have ripped through. His, his body weight would have ripped through it and it would have ripped out his hands. And so what they did was they took these ropes and they would wrap the rope around the beam and around his arm. And as Jesus would have been hanging on the cross that day, the blood that was pouring out of his arms because he was being beaten would have seeped through those ropes. And those ropes, after they took him down, would have been all red with the, bled, with the red blood of Jesus. So, so we see a scarlet rope again. The scarlet rope, listen, this is, this is the last thing I'm saying. The scarlet rope in Jericho meant that Joshua would end up being a just judge to Jericho, but a savior to Rahab because she trusted him. And the scarlet ropes of Jesus remind us that Jesus will be a just judge to those who reject him 
but he offers himself as a savior to those who trust him. You see, through the whole Old Testament, every story whispers his name. It all points to the person of Jesus. Rahab had a lot more questions than she had answers. She did not have a theology degree. She did not grow up in church and none of her friends were following her into this, but she chose to put her faith in God. And you too, you might be sitting here and you might go, man, I've got a lot more questions than I have answers. I don't have a theology degree. I didn't grow up in church. I don't know if I'm allowed to belong yet. And none of your friends are doing this with you. But the question I have for you as I close is, have you ever put your faith and trust in God through the person of Jesus Christ? Have you ever made that decision to say, I'm in? I'm in. I'm going I'm to trust in the work of Jesus on my behalf. Have you ever asked that or have you ever asked God to do that in your life? If you haven't, I would be nuts to not give you the invitation right now. And so would every head in here, would it, would you just bow it? Would you close your eyes? I'm going to pray a prayer. And if today you're saying for the first time or again, I want to trust in God like Rahab did. I want to I want to go all in with this. Even though I don't know all the answers, I want to believe in Jehovah Elohim. I'm going to pray a prayer. And I'm going to give you time between my lines to echo it back. You can say it out loud. You can say it under your breath. You can say it in your heart. Here's that prayer. Father God, I don't have all the answers but I know I need help. So today I'm choosing to trust in you. Forgive my sins. I want to follow you with all of my life for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can look up here. Here's what we're going to do as we close. We're going to sing that bridge chorus one more time. I've put my faith in Jesus, my anchor in the ground. And as we do that, I, w- I just want you to consider what one is we have a prayer team in the back that's always available. If you've got anything going on in your life, David, I love what you said earlier about, and everybody in here is going through something that nobody else in here knows anything about. And if you'd like somebody to pray with you about that or anything else I've shared, the prayer team is there and would love to pray with you. And for those of you that stay here and just sing this song, again, I just want to invite you to put your hands like this, like David invited you earlier. Put your hands like this. Be who you really are. Don't be the cleaned up version that's acceptable to most. Don't be the reputation protecting version of you. Be who you really are. Let this be this this moment where you go, God, this is just who I really am. And let the grace of God, the love of God, wash over all of you. Don't keep a mask on. Don't stand there like this. That doesn't let God come into all of you. So just be who you are. Give all of yourself to him and let the grace of God just wash over your life as we sing this song. Will you guys stand as we sing this song. Lord, we're gonna sing this song and we're not doing it because we're supposed to end service with a song. 
We're not doing it because it just makes sense with the program. We're going to sing this song and declare these words because you hung on the cross for us. We're putting our faith in that, in you. And we know, God, that when you went on the cross, you didn't go to the cross saying, I'll forgive most sins. You said, I'll do it for all of them. And so, Father, as we stand here and open our hands, would you see us as presenting all of ourselves, who we really are to you? And God, would you let the grace of God just wash over us and help us feel free because we are free. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, to give online, or to attend a service, visit threecreekschurch.com.